Hello and welcome to another episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. My name is Tom Dow and I'm joined as always by my best friend Andre Grayson. Hello Mr Dow. Hello Mr Grayson, how are you doing? Um, you'll find out, won't you, uh, <laughs> over the next hour or so or however long it takes. Um, I'm in a good mood in life, I'm in a bad mood with Arsenal. How about you? Uh, well, I, I'd like to say I'm in a good mood in life and a bad mood about Arsenal, but Arsenal uh, basically dictate my mood in life. So uh, I'm in a bad mood about Arsenal, therefore I'm in a bad mood about life. <laughs> yeah, well, you're probably right. Maybe I am in a bad mood. Bad start, bad start. Thanks for this. Um, but I, set, yeah, I guess it, it, it sets the tone, really, doesn't it? Just really yeah, sets if, the tone. It, if nothing else, you thought you were in a good mood. I've now convinced you you're in a bad mood. So. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, making it real. That's what it's all about here at the Boys in Red and White pod. It is. We're real people and real fans. Okay, so we're going to return to uh, our usual structure this week. Um, the last couple of episodes, we've kind of deviated from that and not done our, our, our traditional commentary quiz starter. So for those uh, that haven't heard before... Our commentary quiz is where one of us will uh, say a piece of commentary with no com- uh, emotion and no context, and the other person has to guess what that piece of commentary is. So, this week, Andre is going to go first. So, Andre, would you like to tell me your piece of commentary? I would. You still lead by one. Fantastic. Ambitious effort. It's in. <laughs> um, oh... All oh, right, I can hear it. Is that Omri away at Sparta Prague? No. Oh, I like a bit more right. commentary. Yes. Okay, I'm going to read it again. I'm going to add some emotion. Ambitious effort. It's in. Oh, that'll do it. Oh, that is Cesc Fabregas yes. in the San Siro. Yes, very good. <laughs> when you said you were going to add some um, some emotion to it, I, I didn't think I'd get it from that because I could hear the emotion in my head. <laughs> and as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, that's it. Of course, of course. Oh, what a, what a great goal. What a great moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, that was, we said we wanted to try and make part of this uplifting when we were texting earlier. That was so special. And it feels like a long way off, that big European victory. I went to the San Siro when we won there in the Europa League. I think uh, Mkhitaryan and I want to say Ozil scored. Maybe? I don't know. I, it Ra- I think it was Ramsey. Ramsey set up by Ozil. Um, and it was a great win, but it certainly didn't feel how good that win against that AC Milan to be the first English club to win at the San Siro felt it was so special and it was a real coming of age moment for Sesk as well yeah very just emotional. uh I mean going back to that season uh it's a season that's full of regrets but it is also a season it's probably the last season that I I truly felt that connection to to Arsenal Football Club where where I loved every single player and I wouldn't have a bad word said about anything to do with the club Mm. Um, and I think part of that is obviously I was significantly younger and I was still in my sort of teenage years. So I still had that 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 sort of semblance of I'm going to defend my club, whatever anyone says. But it's still 
that that team was the last team that I felt like I truly loved watching play because every single game you, you felt like you were going to be entertained. And that Champions League run obviously ended in a heartbreak with the uh, the Liverpool game in the uh, the next round. And we were cruelly robbed by a ridiculous penalty decision in that one. But uh, the, the whole season, I still look back on with a lot of fondness because there were just some incredible memories, incredible moments during that campaign. There really were. There really were. And, and this was one of them. And to finish off the commentary, Cesc Fabregas with a little over six minutes remaining. I like his celebration as well because he uh, creates a very interesting face when he runs over to Arsene Wenger and hugs him. <laughs> it is like he's breaking down, like he's had the worst news he's ever had. Uh, it's sort of that downward, like, uh, but he's so happy <laughs> in the same moment. It's uh, very sesk, very sesk. Over emotional, I think, is the is the term. But but you know what? I got it. I got it. Yeah, love sesk. Love everything about him, uh, apart from when he left. Uh, <laughs> and then, then it was great. Yeah. <laughs> if we just ignore until he left, you know, what a guy. Best what? best captain we've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then he decided to go and watch the Grand Prix when Arsenal were playing as club captain. <laughs> yeah, not... The less said not about right. that, the better. Let's keep this upbeat. <laughs> now says Fabregas. Ambitious effort, it's in! Okay, so my one is, that's deliberate, that's majestic. That's deliberate. Oh, that is majestic. Um, Perez. No. No, is it not Perez v Villa? I'm getting confused. I'll tell you why I'm getting confused. And it's another piece of commentary. And it's when he says, take a boo, son. Take a boo. That is magnificent. That is majestic. Okay. Yeah, that that's also uh, when Andy Gray just stops and says, "Well, I apologise. I'm applauding." <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I hope that will come up later. Uh, that's oh, uh, that's Giroud. No. What? He's struggling. Yeah. Uh, do you, would you like a bit more commentary? I would like a little bit more commentary, please. Okay. That's deliberate. That's majestic. Sheer brilliance. Sheer brilliance. That's all you can say about that piece of football. Oh, no. oh I feel like I know it. <laughs> if this helps. Oh, is it um, Dennis? Is it Dennis? It's not Dennis. No. Oh, right. right. Well, then if, tell if, me because I, 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 <laughs> if it's not Dennis and it's not Perez, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was okay. So I'll go through Perez v Villa, uh, and then I thought it might be. Um, Dennis against uh, Newcastle, but but clearly I'm wrong. I'm going to have to concede. Okay, that is Thierry Henry at home to Manchester United. His lobbed effort over Fabian Barthez. Oh, God. I can't say how many times I've watched that goal with that commentary. And the reason why I thought you'd get it is because uh, on 
Sunday night when oh. Arsenal lost to Leicester, which obviously we'll move on to that shortly. Uh, Andre texted me probably just as the final whistle went and said, turn over to 402. And it was uh, the greatest Arsenal goals in the Premier League era. And as soon as I turned it over, I watched the whole thing and it made me feel a lot better. And I saw that goal and I just, it, it, it's one of those goals that every time I see it, I forget how good it is and how perfect it is. And to attempt that against anyone, let alone against Manchester United at home, is just phenomenal. And I remember I would have been probably about eight or nine when that happened. And I remember being at school um, and every time I got the ball, I tried to replicate what Omri did there. Mm-hmm. And I, I I sort of succeeded in a five-a-side tournament once. And in my head, it was exactly the same. In reality, it was probably nothing like it. But my nine-year-old mind was convinced I had replicated my hero. <laughs> I I can't tell you how often... I've tried to replicate that. And if the ball gets played into my feet and there's a goal behind me, only in kickabouts, I'm not going to get pretend I do this in matches or I've got that skill. <laughs> I'm just talking like I'm messing around. I will always flick it up, try a shot on the turn, and every time I'll shout, Henri! Uh, <laughs> and I just, you just go back to childhood sometimes. That goal, I mean, the celebration, the, the, what's that? Um, the way he sort of went over to Wenger, he was just the coolest man. But that moment in such a big game, was amazing i'm i'm gonna have a word with myself about the fact that i didn't get that because obviously i also watched that commentary and i was like listening in carefully to the commentary i was like he's gonna say one of these i know he is anyway yeah like like, you know i I was i was trying to do some research when i was watching that um i had had a few beers with my dad at that point um so my memory is probably not as good as it could have been but uh yeah that one definitely did stick out for me yeah special goal special moment Henri, what a goal! Inspiration for Arsenal from Thierry Henri. Well, you watched Lyrical about Ryan Giggs is in the FA Cup semi-final. Have a look at one of the greatest goals I've seen on this ground. That's deliberate. That's majestic. Sheer brilliance. Sheer brilliance. That's all you can say about that piece of football from a talented, talented footballer. Absolutely unsavable. Absolutely magnificent. Okay, so that was uh, not wholly successful for either of us because it took me a little bit of a clue to get to get my one and obviously you didn't get my one. So, <laughs> mm. But never mind, we'll, we'll continue this positive train of thought that we've got until we get to the next segment. <laughs> Which is, of course, looking at Sunday night's defeat to Leicester City. Um, I don't want to talk about this, but we kind of have to, don't we? Uh, no, we don't actually have to do anything. We could we could actually end the podcast now and just have enjoyed that or talk about the kits. Um, we, no, let's, let's... Th- thank you, everyone, for listening <laughs> to the Boys and Red Podcast. You can find us on social media. Uh, I, I would say, well... Let's. I think we've got to start by by talking about this to go pure cliche in two halves because I think we have to go back a step. And I, I was looking through some texts I sent you during the first half and how I felt during that first half. And I would have said that was an awful lot better from Arsenal. 
The only thing I that really sticks out to me is we have taken Leicester apart at home twice in both first halves and both second halves. We've struggled immeasurably, which tells me that, you know, I don't really know what it tells me. I'm a little bit worried about our second halves in 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 reality. Uh, sorry, in in this season is what I'm trying to say. My goodness. Uh, <laughs> in, 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 in. Uh, We've been really poor in most second halves. Um, Leicester are, are a good team. When Vardy was on the bench, it felt like it was scripted. And I just felt we really had to go ahead. Um, I think for sanity purposes, I'd really not like to talk about the fact our goal was disallowed after three minutes because that was a goal. I don't. I still don't really understand, A, how it was ruled out. But B, they didn't review it for more than a minute, which... yeah makes even less sense to me we should have been 1-0 up and then I think it is a different game with the way Leicester set out um but I was quite pleased with the first half what did you, you know what did you think yeah I thought the first half was uh, I, I, th- I think it was okay um I think you've got to obviously credit that Le- Leicester are a good side nowadays like they're not they're not a team that in general we're going to go out and beat beat four five nil so they're a team that are always going to be difficult to beat and if you get points against them then it's always going to be quite quite a significant victory um but as you say the 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 first the opening goal that should have been um I can't understand why that was disallowed uh I don't think any Arsenal fan can understand why that was disallowed and I'm surprised that more hasn't been made of that outside of sort of the Arsenal fan base because I've not really read anywhere or heard anywhere people questioning that decision and for with, with VAR to be in the game and for that not to be given I just that that doesn't sit right with me I'm not a big advocate of VAR uh, I don't like it but uh, you you do have to obviously say that the the systems are in place and the reason why it's not working as effectively as it should is not down to the technology it's down to the people managing the technology so as much as I was just said I'm not an advocate of VAR, um, that's obviously a goal that, to me, that's the whole point of having things like VAR because I can understand why the linesman is given that because yeah. that's the first player that he sees. He sees Granit Xhaka in front of everyone else. The ball goes very close to him, so I can completely understand why the linesman's put his flag up, but I can't understand why un- after any sort of review that hasn't been looked at and been like, oh, hang on. He's not interfering with the goalkeeper. He's jumped out of the way of the ball. That's that's got to be given. So that was my first take with that. I thought in general we dominated the the first half without without creating too many clear cut chances. I know obviously Tierney had that cross to to Lacazette where we should have scored, and I think we both said at the time that probably the cross needs to be a little bit better, and you'd expect a bit better from Lacazette. Uh, had the two deliveries from Tierney for uh, Lacazette and Aubameyang, both sort of stretching back a bit for the headers. So that's probably why they went over. But it's it's, it's just growing increasingly concerning how we are not creating, I suppose, clear-cut chances. Um, I I suppose maybe this isn't the barometer for that because clear-cut chances against a side of, of Leicester's quality are probably going to be few and far between and it's reliant on you taking your chances, but it's still frustrating. And then going into the second half, uh, we just never got going. At no point did we look like scoring. As you said, it was scripted that Jamie Vardy was going to come on and score the winner. 
And as soon as he came on, both you and I texted each other and said we were worried. And you could see that the game had 1-0 written all over it. So I do think you've got to give Leicester credit for their game plan because obviously they they knew they were a bit exposed at times in the first half. And they've come out in the second half. They dug deep. They defended deep, uh, very, very deeply and have frustrated us. And they knew that they'd get an opportunity on the counter-attack and could potentially nick the win. And that's what happened. Yeah. And I think... Without making this too scathing, I, I agree with you to an extent that Leicester had a really good game plan and executed it. But also, it was a very simplistic game plan. Sit deep and hit them on the counter late on. And yeah. I've got to think our manager is intelligent enough to see that coming and sees Vardy on the bench and goes all out for 60 minutes and then sits back in a deep block. Because, you know, I, I do not... There's a few things here. So... Before I go into the formation, because I know we discussed it after the um, the midweek game, but I'm I'm a little bit concerned with how we played despite the personnel in terms of formation. But I do think the minute if David Luiz going off means your attack is over, that is beyond an issue. And whilst I do think his radar was spot on. Uh, some of those passes, there was one that just looped over Castagna onto Tierney's toe where he was in. I think it was the Lacazette miss. But that yeah, ball is, if you've ever played football, that's like impossible. I can't kick the ball that far, let alone that accurately, let alone that much dip. That was world-class, that crossfield ball. It deserved a goal. Um, and he was doing it all game. And actually, he was defending pretty well and really aggressively against uh, both Barnes and Madison. Really wasn't giving them an inch in the first half. And that aggressive defending is so important. And the less said about Mustafi, the better. I know I sent you that clip and that clip going round where he's not dropping back and Gabriel's getting there. But it's a little bit harsh. But it's also the reality of Mustafi that he does have the run on Vardy and is just daydreaming yet again. Um, but also he hasn't got those passes in the locker. But I just look at it and I go, I don't know whether it's too simple to say. You've got three central midfielders, play them in the middle of the pitch. If you need to put one in front of the other two, you do it or you rotate them in a triangle. You put a front three up there. OK, if you want to put Aubameyang left and Saka right or vice versa. Um, I do think Aubameyang right is a huge issue, but that's... um. That's perhaps we'll come on to that later. But that front three I had no problems with, but I did have a problem with how it was constructed and how the midfield was constructed behind that. Because if you're going to play a midfield like that, you need to try and play through the middle of the pitch. And if you're going wide, you need better players than, you know, Abamyang on the right and Bellerin overlapping and Tierney on the left with with Saka and Xhaka behind them both. It, it, it's not... When we've played this formation, I know I said this to you, but when we play Tierney and Maitland-Niles, they have a relationship and are able to do those hybrid roles immaculately. They are the only ones. And if we're not, if they're not out there, we shouldn't be playing this way. And I do have quite a bit of frustration for our manager um, uh, uh, after the game, um, but not during. You know, it's all very easy to be wise after the fact. I didn't blame Arteta during the first half. <laughs> Absolutely not. I was full of praise. But after the fact, when I looked at it, I just think we've got to be setting up in a more coherent way for these players. Yeah, yeah, we really do. Um, I, I saw an interesting clip of, um, it, it was literally like a five second clip of the ball going back to, I think it was 
either Jacques or Ceballos. And there's a really clear inside pass to Thomas Partey and he would have been able to open the game up. And instead, we played it straight back to the centre-backs um, in a really negative way. And I think that kind of summarises where the issues are because we, we're we too cautious. We don't want to take those chances. And I, I, I think it's going to take a bit of time to get used to the fact that we've got a player like Thomas Partey who can play those forward passes. Um, but it's it's enormously frustrating because on the face of it, looking where we are, you you look at you look at a game on TV and you think it's a really obvious pass to play, and that's what's so frustrating because you look at it and it's a five yard pass and we're not we're not doing those positive steps to try and build attacks. Um, I do think it's obviously interesting what you're saying about the formation uh, as it was and may, maybe. At times, it feels like Arteta's maybe doing a bit too much mm. um, with his formations. Rather than saying we are playing in a in, in a flat four three three, this is what your jobs are. This is what your jobs are. So maybe I, I think there's probably a middle ground between what you said about it. Maybe is that too simplistic? But I also think it's probably a bit too complex. What Arteta's trying to drill into these players. I was just going to say to you, do you not think it's an absolute... I just think the way we concede the goal, to have Xhaka in that position against someone like Under with Vardy in behind, I just think that's really naive. And I'm I'm amazed that Arteta, with his aptitude so far, fell for it. And that's where I I sort of get stuck, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I I do. I do. I do know what you mean. I think I think what's what's really important to say as well is that I think the last two episodes of this podcast, we've we've probably been quite critical of of Mikel Arteta. And I think that's completely justified. But I do think we're maybe seeing a bit of his inexperience as a manager. Um, and part of that is, as as a supporter, I, th- there doesn't seem to be too much common ground when it comes to these sort of divisive topics. It, it tends to be either you are adamant that, for, as an example, that he's the right man for the job, or you're adamant that he's a load of rubbish. Whereas I think there's nothing wrong with thinking Arteta is the right man for the job for Arsenal, whilst also saying that there are things, obviously, that you can criticise about him. Even in Wenger's heyday, he, he made he made countless mistakes that I'm sure he would be the first one to say, oh, well, if, if I could do that again, I wouldn't do that. And that's part of the learning curve. Um, it's just unfortunate for Arteta that it's a very steep learning curve at Arsenal because of the expectations that are there, but also because of how far the club has dropped uh, in the last four or five years. Yeah. And if you take away the, the FA Cup successes... Uh, it has been a very challenging time throughout throughout our league campaigns during that period. Yeah, yeah. And it's a really interesting question because I don't think there's too much else to, to, to say regarding the game. You know, we had a horror miss. We got done on the counter in a predictable way. The formation could be tweaked. We, we kind of want to see a Bamiyang down the middle. Um, but one thing I actually wanted to ask you is it's six games in now. And I don't think you can really draw conclusions until it's ten. But I thought it was quite interesting. We've played six, won three, lost three. So I got out my magical calculator and I timed 19 wins by three, imagining we'd lose the rest exactly by half. And it puts us on 57 points. Last season, we got 56 points. So that's one point improvement as far as I'm concerned. But I wondered, I sort of wanted to ask you, do you think, having looked at the fact, Leicester, Leicester for me, are a Champions League team at the minute. I actually think they're better than Chelsea and Man U and how they snuck above, you know, they collapsed at the end of last season. They're probably 
could make a case for them being the third or fourth best team in the league. Um, and we've played the top two. So it's a difficult, difficult run. And I think we do have to understand that. I know Leicester as a badge and as a club, we sort of think less of them. But actually, they've been really successful and have a style which has blown lots of teams away. There's also quite a bit to be said about the away wins as well. Um, and the percentages that are massively on the increase. But the point I'm trying to make and wanted to ask you is I was looking in the 18-19 season, uh, we won 21 games, uh, seven draws, gave us 70 points. Last season, right, 14 wins, 14 draws, 10 losses. We didn't even win half our games. If you, Even if you take yesterday out, do you think we're going to get above winning half our games? Um, I'd, you'd like to think so because it doesn't it doesn't look like at the moment we're going to draw too many. But but I, obviously I think that's more of a testament to the uh, the opponents that we've played in in, in our in our start. So I, I'm re- I'm really not sure. I'm trying to contextualise this, and I just want to give the sort of point I'm trying to make. Man U last season finished third. They won 18, so they didn't even win half. They drew 12. You only need 66 points. We're allowed to drop points, as in we don't need to get so carried away with this loss. It's just really about whether this was that concerning and made us feel, you know, so concerned as fans that what we couldn't do against Leicester means we won't succeed in the league. And I suppose my biggest concern about the Leicester thing and all of this together is if you put a deep block against Arsenal, we don't seem to have a thing. Yeah, I think I, I, I think what is the alarming thing, and it, as you say, it's not so much losing at home to Leicester because I think that can happen. And like you say, I think they are they are a very good side. And you look at the other two games we've lost away to the champions and away to Manchester City, um, and you can completely justify those results with where we are. But I think the problem is that Leicester basically produced a template of how to beat Arsenal and how to frustrate Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly in that in that second half, um, they figured it out pretty quickly. And what is alarming is how difficult we find it to score goals and how difficult we find it to create chances. And we've looked at Aubameyang over the last few years, and we, we've said before that he pretty much has to score every chance that he gets when playing this side. And unfortunately those goals have kind of dried up and he's not really getting into those positions and you could we can obviously argue back and forth all day long about whether he's in playing the right position or whether he needs to be down the middle but that template of frustrating Arsenal and that deep block which teams continually will do against Arsenal is what is concerning and it it will be a real test when we play uh, more the teams that we're expected to beat rather than we hope to beat mm. that will be that will be the the real definitive answer to that question, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Because as we said, you know, it's really easy to get critical. But I think you and I talked about in some of the earlier pods we've done, the fact this is a journey. There's going to be a lot of pain. I just wonder whether we've seen enough, you know, so far to, to come and do it. And actually, what's interesting, and I think it is exciting to just completely flip the, uh, you know, mentality about this. Arteta's learning from this more than anyone he's seeing things first and he is developing as a manager we didn't hire a manager who was capable of you know who had shown any evidence sorry I should say of taking a club like this and transforming them 
I don't think we hire a manager that's that good because I don't think they're coming to Arsenal at the minute in the way we are. Absolutely. So we need to accept we're going to go on a journey with him. I'm excited to see if he can work this out because if he does, I think he's that good a coach and that good at finding the solution um, that we will work this out and we will become more of an attacking force because look at what he's done with the defence. It has taken a long time for us to become a lot more stable and that does need to be sort of lauded more than it is it's sort of forgotten so fast that we still are barely conceding chances yeah it's just about finding that balance so I think uh if you almost look at his time at Arsenal um and his future at Arsenal in different phases I think he's achieved phase one which was to to make us more defensively sound and it's now moving into phase two and about advancing this team to to another level and I don't, I don't doubt that he is the man for the job, and I don't doubt his ability to work out that problem. Um, and as you say, I, I still think it is tremendously exciting because we've got such a fantastic young coach in charge of our football club. Um, but it's just a case of you. I, I think the club know that they, that this is the situation. I think they know that it's going to take time to to resolve. Uh, I think I would feel more comfortable with it if I didn't have to constantly hear on the radio about how great Tottenham are and how they're going to change for the title um, and it frustrates me enormously and it, it gets into my head I'm not going to lie it gets into my head and, <laughs> and it, it's the fact that I still see us as being quite a long way off them and that's the concerning thing for me at the moment and what I encourage you <laughs> this is my counselling service <laughs> no absolutely but look at who they've played they dropped yeah. points to Newcastle West Ham and you know they snuck past Burnley who outshot them uh, you know yes I know look their Man U result was an absolute anomaly but they have hardly they haven't gone to City they haven't gone to Liverpool they haven't played Leicester they're playing their sort of fixture list is exactly what we needed um, at the start of the season and do you know what? I think you've just got to say, say we will have an easier run. We don't have these teams away. You know, after we, after next um, Sunday or, or Sunday coming, sorry, I should say, I know we've got Villa. I know we've got Leeds and yes, they're tough games, but they are, and, and Southampton as well, sorry. And I know last week I was saying they are tricky, but that was more relation to formation changes. Once Man U's out the way, they're three of the toughest grounds you can go to and it's knocked out in the first 10 games. That opens things up. And I do believe that Arteta is going to find a way. And as a club and as players, we will find solutions to attack better, to get forward better. Because ultimately, because we have to, we can't be a defensive team and then lose. I mean, it's just the worst type of, it's the worst combination going. If you're going to lose, lose 4-3 and be unbelievable going forward and open at the back. Don't be solid and lose (laughs) 1-0 to the only chance you concede. Because there is... There is nothing worse. But that's what I'd say to you is remember that they have played no one yet apart from Man U. Look, if we go to Old Trafford and win, then it, it sort of, well, we won't win 6-1. But that sort of you diminishes. Never know. <laughs> no, no. I'm willing to bet quite a significant amount of money. <laughs> no, 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 you're, you're right. We're going to win 7-1. 7-1, exactly. Yeah. But also, I, you know, I, I've not got a good feeling about Sunday, but I would be delighted with a point. You know, if yeah. we shut them down like Chelsea did and we take a nil-nil and then you, you sort of reflect and go, OK, three of the toughest away games out the, out the way. 
you know, one of the easiest away games. We did what we needed to do. And then we'll see where we are. I think we're just looking at this international break that's coming up in, I think, have we got three league games before then? So we've got Man U, then Villa at home, and then, sorry, and then it's a break. If we come out of that with four points, and then you reflect on this little international break, it's not yeah. bad at all. It's not, and that was a that was a, a, a brilliant way of calming me down. So I I, I needed that. <laughs> so I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> Pleasure, but honestly, I, I do think it's really hard, and I do think um, without making this too OTT, I do think it's a societal issue. I think you and I don't we wouldn't feel like that if we were at the ground, had got behind the team, had watched them really try, had given them a push, and they still didn't make it, and they got done on the counter. All we have is to live in this bubble of watching football and it's more frustrating. The results mean more than than they should at the minute. I know for us, results mean so much and I was desolate Sunday night. But it's just trying to remember that no one's won a league. No one's winning the league. No one's proving their title contenders yet. It's still for me is Liverpool and City. And I know there's been results that are absolutely freaky. um, But I just think, Everyone needs to calm down for a minute. Um, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong, Tom. If we can't beat Dundalk or toil against them, I will be coming on here next Tuesday and be having a very different conversation with you. Because that is the game. Where I'm like, if Arsenal aren't getting five and we aren't seeing kids, then I'll be, honestly, I'll be really disappointed. Right. Speaking of Dundalk, I've got, I've got a conundrum. I need your help on this. All right. Mm-hmm. Right, so on Thursday, uh, yeah. n- next Monday is my uh, fiance's thirtieth birthday. So on Thursday, I'm taking her to a posh hotel, um, actually Sopwell House, which is a hotel that Arsenal use. Oh yes, St Albans, it's lovely there. <laughs> it is. So I'm taking her there for two nights. Right. So on Thursday night, that's our first night there. Does she know this? Does she know? Is it, is it a surprise, or is she going to find out on the? No, I've t- I told her. T- I told her today where we were going. Um, <laughs> But yeah, we're going to there, and Thursday night, obviously, Arsenal playing Dundalk. What do I do? Well, what were you? What What are you? <laughs> what am I leaning towards? Yeah. Well, what are, you, I'm what are the towards... options? Because I can't come up with this out of nowhere for you. Okay, so the options are one: uh, we go out, we have a lovely evening, and I pretend the football isn't happening. Okay, sorry. Yep. Uh, B or, or two. I can't remember what I said to start with. <laughs> B2. Yeah, number one, B, <laughs> three. Um, the, the second option is that um, we go out and have a nice evening, mm-hmm. but I conveniently locate a pub that we can go and watch it in, mm-hmm. which I'm, I, I, I think that's a good option. Laura does know this football one, but it's, it's about how romantic I want to be. Mm. It's a very difficult one. Um so St Albans is lovely, of course, uh, not not too far from where, and I worked there for a long time. Um, what would you do? Eight pm is a nightmare. I mean, really, this could have been. Do- if this was an early kickoff, I think you can get away with it. Um, I would go with a. Oh no, because you can't even record there, can you? I'd have gone with a record and watch later and hide my phone. I yeah, mean, I think. Look, do you know what? If this was 29 or 31, I think you could get away with it. I don't think you're missing much Arsenal Dundalk. I don't I don't either. I think, I think, I think if there's if ever there's a game been, to miss, it's this one. It's this one. 
I mean, I mean, I mean, you've not really, we're not really any closer to a solution here, are we? <laughs> no, no, I think I gave you the solution, and I think you just I think didn't I, want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that is the problem. I know the solution. You know the solution. You've told me the solution. I've not heard the solution. Uh, because I don't like the solution. Have you seen that video going round where a guy gives puts the um, iPhone, or sorry, the phone uh, uh, playing the game on his wife's head and gives her a little head like? Oh, uh, that's a shout! That's a shout! But yeah, you could have it. You could have it playing to the side. But Laura knows me well enough that if I've got it playing to the side, she knows I won't be listening to a single word she's saying. <laughs> The thing is, St Albans won't have too many places that play the football that, that are worthy of a birthday dinner. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh... no, The only saving grace is that on the Friday is when we're having a nice meal. So Thursday okay. is just, just, we're just going out just for an evening. Are you, just are you getting a massage or anything there? Are they doing that at the minute? I don't know. The are they, they are. Laura is, I booked her in for a, for a treatment on the Friday. Okay, so she's 8 o'clock on the Thursday, what are you doing? <laughs> I know. I didn't think. I didn't think this far ahead. <laughs> no, what I'd say, Arsenal v Dundalk is not going to be a very good game. It, it's not. It's not. It's not. It, you know, and also, it's one of those. It's a bit like when you play a lower league club at home. Even if you win six nil, you know it's what's meant to happen, and that's not as fun as when you trash a team you weren't expecting to. True, and the the other the other uh, caveat to this argument is that I I already pulled rank because I, as I text you on Sunday we are meant to be going for dinner with her mum and dad just for a takeaway, and I informed Laura when Arsenal were playing Manchester United when that kicked off, and she said, "Well, we're going for dinner," and I said, "Well, if we are, we're going after the Arsenal Man United game." <laughs> so I've already pulled rank on that one and said that that's not happening. So I think uh, I probably need to. Except that Thursday is probably not a game I can watch. <laughs> I would, I would, yes. Um, uh, but what I'd say just on Thursday, the game you definitely won't watch, but I know will, um, is <laughs> I would say that I do not want to see, and I don't know if you feel like this in preparation for it, I do not want to see many first teamers out there. Um, no, I, I want to see Smith Rowe, Reese Nelson, Joe Willock. Um, Cedric can have a game. Yeah, uh, I, I would. I would. Half, though. Sorry, what was that? Sorry, well, we got a big problem at centre half. We have. What, what's the situation with uh, Callum Chambers and Pablo Murray? Are they close to a return? Yeah, but not not for this. Um, so Mustafi's going to play presumably next to Gabriella, um, and then that makes me really concerned about Gabrielle. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it's unbelievable. Uh, a team that's got eight centre halves. I know Socrates hasn't been registered, but eight centre halves, and we can't field a. It's incredible. <laughs> it is absolutely. It's a, only Arsenal. Um, I, I want to see Runnison get a a, a run out. Um, yeah. As well, uh, Eddie up top, Nelson. That's about it, really. El Nene will play, won't he? He will play, and I'd play him next to Willock in midfield. I don't know, Smith Rowe in midfield as well as a three. Yeah, I'd be happy with that. Reese Nelson on the right, and Ketia down the middle. Um, do you think Pepe needs game time? No, I don't think any. Maybe, maybe. He's, but he's, I, one, I would look, he's one that I would look at and think he's just not in form. Like, well, obviously, he came on on um, on Sunday, didn't make an impact at all. Barely touched the ball. 
Uh, and he's one that I look at and maybe think, oh, maybe maybe a run out and potentially a confidence boosting game might mm. might do him some good ahead of Sunday. So yeah, potentially maybe. here. Maybe. And then you chuck him Willie Ann into that mix. I- I'm hoping Maitland Niles gets a game. He, he, needs oh, he, ha- he has to. He has to surely because he obviously didn't play against Rapid Vienna. Didn't play on Sunday. He, I think, he needs a game. Class and actually would uh, expect to play. Yeah, um, I think we've named fourteen players at this point. But I think more generally, any mix of that surely has to be. I'll, I'll be really disappointed to be honest with you. If, uh, Bellerin, Tierney, Saka, uh, you know, Bamiang, Party, Lacazette, even. Well, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he. I don't know. I think Lacazette is what he is. But I'd be really frustrated if they're playing, you know, I think it'd be very disappointing if they're playing because surely you don't get many games like this in a season. You just don't. No, and I think you could, uh, You can. I know we said how surprised we were at how strong the team was against, uh, against Vienna, but that was the most difficult game we're going to have in the group. So you can half understand why he went for as strong a side as he did. Um, getting the win there now you're in a situation where you should be able to rotate and still get away with with three points so fingers crossed we we do get to see that the only thing I did want to touch on and I did just mention him is uh is uh Scrogdan Mustafi and I text you I think it was this morning I text you actually and it was about the rumors that he was offered a contract extension and I could not believe what I was reading that one, the club thought we'll, we'll offer him a new deal, and two, he rejected it. So I, 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 I'm, I'm baffled by both decisions there. What do you think of that? I'd love Arteta to be asked about it to understand how real it is. If I, I hope, I hope this is just one of those things that spread around it, and, and there's no substance to it at all. I really, really hope it is that. I need it to be that because yes, if you've looked at Mustafi at any point, and thought, yes, he is the centre-half we need to bridge the gap to the top four. Uh, I'm pretty sure since he came in, we've not hit it um, at all. Uh, I think, and he's a big part of it. He has moments, yesterday, sorry, not yesterday, Sunday, but but not even the, the game we've just played, y- you can't level too much at him. If you watch it from a certain angle, it plays out really badly. But the reason it plays out so badly is because you can see Gabriel pointing and see, sensing where the danger is. And he just doesn't have that sensing of the danger. To be fair, I'm not sure David Luiz does, although he does more than him. But David Luiz gives us a hell of a lot more. I'd prefer Chambers. I'd prefer Holding. I even prefer Socrates. So, you know... If it's true, I am appalled and embarrassed. <laughs> and if he has the audacity to reject a contract, I hope <laughs> the reality is we offered him a contract fiver a week. Just keep him around. He seems to get on with some of the guys. <laughs> He's a nice lad. Him. Nice lad. You know, maybe, you know, a couple of grand a week. Yeah, okay, fair enough. And if he's declined it for that, then understood. That is the only way I'll accept that contract offer. Max two grand a week. He's probably on 80. Right, so we're going to move on to our 
regular final segment that we that we come up with, which is where we reminisce about uh, goals of old by using a shirt of years gone by. Now, the shirt that we're going to look at this week is the 2008-2009 away shirt, which was uh, a shirt that was loosely celebrating the uh, the 89 um, title win. So I remember that was the way that they sold it, and where when they sent out all the all the season ticket renewal stuff, that was that was the brochure and what they said about the kit and things like that. So this week, I believe it is me going first, and the first goal that I think of when I see this shirt is Abu Dhabi away at Aston Villa. Now it is a goal which unfortunately didn't result in a victory at the, uh, for the club. Uh, we were 2 0 up with not too long ago, and I remember Zach Knight scored um, late on to, to to make it two two. Did he score both that night? Yes, he scored the most ridiculous left footed swing in the 90th minute you'll ever see. I hated Martin O'Neill. I hated this Aston Villa team. I hated Ashley Young. I hated Gabby <laughs> Agbon Lahore. Just just a horrible club, but I the goal. The goal itself was absolutely incredible because Abu Dhabi picks the ball up on the on the near side and doesn't appear to have too many options. And he does this wonderful, I, I suppose it's sort of it's like a pushed Cruyff turn. Um, so the ball goes by, um, past his opponent and he just powers his way through, passes the ball inside to Emmanuel Abue uh, and then just accelerates forward while Abue is carrying the ball. Diaby powers past him and times his run brilliantly. The pass is timed perfectly and Diaby then just lofts the ball over the goalkeeper into the back of the net. And the bit I love about that goal more than anything is that not only does it encapsulate what he could do when he was fully fit, um, his celebration when he just runs into the crowd and just is just almost furious with it. that's his outpouring of emotion is just anger and fury it seems but he jumps into the crowd and obviously gets a yellow card on the back of that but that is how I imagined if I was a professional footballer how I would celebrate every single goal that I scored uh and I'd take the yellow card, unless I was on a yellow already, in which case I'd probably forget I was on a yellow and do it anyway and get sent off. But I, I just, I think every single goal I would celebrate that way because it just, it, it must be such an incredible buzz. And to score a goal where you've got your your fans right in front of you, I just, I, I absolutely love everything about that goal and that celebration. Yeah. So that is the first goal that I think of. Yeah, and that was a really important game. And there was some great moments. I mean, a rare Denilson goal first. The much maligned Denilson and Diaby combo in midfield at the time. <laughs> uh, scoring was always satisfying. Sanya's clearance off the line. Wow. Wow. We it's so good. Over. Oh, my goodness. I love Bakary Sanya. That was... That was oh, breathtaking. But actually, we kind of got outplayed by Villa, from what I remember. We had... A, yeah. a, a handful of moments, but that was just scintillating stuff from DRB. No, great pick, great pick. Um, my, my pick is the same man, um, and really, it's not about the goal because I'd be amazed if anyone could even describe. Many people out there, I should say, could even describe this one. But it was more around uh, the profile of game and what we did in it. So it was uh, Abu Dhabi's penalty in the shootout against Roma away. It was the first uh, penalty shootout I felt went successfully for Arsenal in my lifetime. Um, 
I, I carried that Galatasaray burden on my back for a long time. And to see us go somewhere like the Olympico, we had a 1-0 advantage from the home leg. We did not play well, but we defended so well. One on penalties. But if you see the celebration and the way Wenger, um, there's a great montage of Wenger on the touchline and what it meant to him. And that was sort of just, we were declining, but we still had those moments. I mean, the Champions League that season, we got to the, that was the year we got to the semi-final. And this was a step on that journey. Um, And it was just such a, a wonderful feeling to win a game like that in the Champions League more than anything. I watched the uh, penalty shootout to that not that long ago. I can't remember where it came up, but um, I watched it not that long ago, and it, it was it was a silly shootout. Didn't it end like nine eight or something like that? Yeah, well, um, yeah, I think it was seven six. Seven six. It was quite a high scoring shootout. And went to sudden death, um, and there were some really dreadful penalties in there that went in. By the way, Theo's. <laughs> yeah, Theo's penalty. Geez, but. Um, yeah, it was. It, I, I remember I watched that. I went to see my brother down in uh, Plymouth when he was at university and we went to a pub to watch it and we watched that together and I was so nervous watching. But obviously when we somehow got through it, uh, it was, as you say, just an unbelievably satisfying feeling to know that we've, uh, we we got through that. And, it, and as you said, it was those times where we were still capable of producing... Um, moments like that within our within our campaign so yeah really lovely choice and uh, as you say I don't I don't think too many people could could describe that penalty (laughs) (laughs) no not at all okay so my second choice is Cesc Fabregas with a rare headed goal away at Sunderland in the dying embers of the game and it's a goal that I think of I'm not really sure why it pops into my head straight away, but it's just because it's at that time, it was certainly rare for Arsenal to score from set pieces Mm -hmm. Um, and to grab a late equaliser from a header. You wouldn't expect that to be Cesc Fabregas at the near post. And I just, I I just like it for that reason. I think because it's an anomaly, Uh, it's not a usual Arsenal goal from that time period. So I really, really enjoyed it. And I remember watching it on a really, really dodgy stream at home um, and going absolutely berserk in my in my, in the spare room of my mum's house. Uh, and it's just one of those ones that everyone then in the house then comes running in because obviously something's happened. <laughs> and I, I think that's a, another memory I've got of that era because that was before uh, we would have really started doing the away days regularly um, as, as supporters. We were probably a bit too young at that stage. And... I used to watch most of the away games or any games I wasn't at on that computer in that spare room. And the process used to always be the same, that I'd watch it. And as soon as I made any sort of noise, anyone that was in the house in earshot would then come running in to see what happened. (laughs) And that was obviously a big one. But it was one of those ones as well that was almost tinged with disappointment because as soon as we equalised, I celebrated. And then it's almost as soon as that celebration ended... I was not very good. I'm still not very good. But at the time, I was really not very good at accepting Arsenal not winning games. So rather than seeing that as that's a big that's a big point gained, I, I still saw it as two points lost because I, I couldn't in my head I couldn't quite comprehend Arsenal not winning football matches. Mm. So 
it's one of those ones. It's a really nice memory, but also a memory that I've got that's that's kind of saddened a little bit as well. Yeah, yeah. I uh, so I lived in Spain where every game was on, and uh, I mean Grant Ledbetter's goal in that game was a bit spectacular, but they did absolutely nothing. I hated dropping points against Dross like Sunderland at a time like this. But the reason I think I liked it so much uh, as well, because I don't know why it's a goal we think of, but it, but it really is. Um, but I think it's because it was him becoming a captain and a leader of Arsenal. You know, mm. captains always, the best captains, the best leaders, do something in that moment. You know, I always think of Adams v Everton or, you know, that, like that Vincent Company strike against uh, <laughs> Leicester uh, when they won the league. Captains often produce moments. Um you know, Vieira, countless for us. And this is where we started to see Fabregas as a leader. Um, and that's why I think it resonates with us so, so, so highly. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's a really, really nice and uh, pertinent point as well, that uh, that we, we were very, very privileged that we got to see Fabregas's entire transition from a boy wonder to the captain of Arsenal Football Club, and you can kind of document that throughout the seasons, and it's a it's a really lovely story to to have been able to witness so so regularly, and even whether that's in a stadium or whether that's um, at the uh, on TV, it's it's something that I, I I think was a great privilege to be able to see because he was, and to my mind, still is. Uh, the greatest uh, teenage talent in my lifetime that we've produced, mm. um, and he everything about Fabregas was just incredible. Um, I will stop this Fabregas loving now because <laughs> I'll, I'll just keep on going. Keep on, on about going. Him. Keep going. No, love it. <laughs> love it. Um, okay. Well, my Go my then. goal. Well, I think we're gonna. We said we only got a couple of goals again. It's even amazing that it was only 2008. We still wore our home kit so regularly away there was so many away games looking up this season that I knew we wore red you know like Blackburn away we'd wear yellow now it's odd uh anyway I digress um but it, it kind of had to be and, and I don't even know which one to go with here because uh our Charvin at Anfield was one of the most spectacular individual performances I think we've ever experienced especially from someone that wasn't basically Omri or Burkamp um in our, in our lifetime because I, I don't think I can't remember other than Julio Baptista um <laughs> many players scoring four in recent memory maybe RVP as well but this was one of the most sublime performances of finishing I've ever seen I think the one when I think of our Sharvin's for Anfield, the goal I come to is where Martin Tyler, I'll probably ruin this for a future commentary quiz, says, needs a <laughs> bit of quality here. He, he burst in, that it's it, there's a cross, it's headed clear, and I think it's Fabio Aurelio uh, thinks he's got all the time in the world. Arshavin steals in, one touch, bang, and it sort of swerves across Rayner in quite an unusual fashion into the side of the net. He runs to the Arsenal fans. I think it's the goal that makes it his hat-trick. No, uh, I think two. that one was two-two. I think that was it the was that made it two-two, and it was just such a wonderful strike. Um, and you can just see it. You can see that goal. You can see the angle. You can see it moving away. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah, um, 
like you say, you you could pick anyone from that game. And uh, when we were speaking about this earlier, I think you were maybe initially leaning. Were you leaning towards the uh, yeah the number four? Uh, so that was the one that you initially said. But um, as you say, I think you could just pick any of them because they were all great goals. They were all great finishes. Um, the first goal was a fantastic sort of team move. Fabregas teeing the ball wide uh, for Nasri to cut back to um, uh, Arshavin and then hit off the underside of the bar. So that was a lovely one. The second one you described brilliantly, and it's the swerve on it that I love, that no goalkeeper mm. in the world was saving that. Uh, third one, bit of a defensive how the ball comes back in, but again, it's a tidy finish. And then the fourth one, Walcott on the break, very reminiscent of that run that he produced in the Champions League, um, but in terms of the distance, lovely ball across to Arshavin, and then Arshavin just puts his left foot through it. And it's just one of those games that's so frustrating that we didn't hold on and win hmm. that game 4-3 because we really, really should have done. But we had a makeshift defence. We had Fabianski, a young Fabianski in goal who really didn't look comfortable with anything Liverpool were throwing at him. Uh, I think Kieran Gibbs, that was one. That was his early days as well. So he was involved in that game. So we had a, a, a difficult team. And I think that came off the, on the back of us losing the semi-final of the FA Cup against Chelsea as well. Um, so it was a bit of a tough week and it would have been nice to end that with a win. But it's still one of those things. That I suppose it doesn't really matter now because ultimately that game for us didn't really have that big a bearing on anything. Whereas for Liverpool, that that derailed their title challenge um, quite significantly. So we've got that to fall back on. Yeah, look, there's, there's always something about that. <laughs> no question. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I have to say, just because you, you touched on it briefly, what a great kit. Like it's lovely. A fantastic kit. Um I actually uh was going through my kits uh only this weekend I was going to sort out as I prepare to move. Um and I saw that one there and it's just oh it was great. It just really lovely. Yellow, blue sleeves, lovely red trim. Uh what's not to love? And there were some great memories in it um as well. But notably I think that'll sh- most known for that are Sharvin four, I think. Yes, absolutely, and I think you, uh, I think you claimed that one uh, quite quite early when I said that was the shirt. You went Arshavin times four, <laughs> and I was like, fair enough, he can have that one. Um, He's got my name as well, you know. It's uh... it, it does, so it's only right that that you you got to have that. Actually, when we first met, I was Andre Arshavin Grayson on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I've forgotten about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, I'd I'd been uh, what was the term at the time? Fraped um, by the housemates, and because I'd done it so many times, um, I had to keep it like that for six months. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just great times, great times. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, on so that bombshell. Oh, yeah, on that bombshell. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for listening to the Boys in Red and White podcast. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking about all of these things as usual with you, Mr. Grayson. Oh, it's been it's been lovely. I feel much better, Tom. Much, much, much better. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it was one that I wasn't initially looking forward to, but I, I really enjoyed talking about all of that, and it and it, it felt like. Uh, 
quite quite therapeutic to sort of go things go through things quite systematically so that was really 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 enjoyable um we do have social media channels if you'd like to follow us on those uh on twitter instagram and facebook by searching for the boys in red and white podcast and we also have a website which is www.theboysinredandwhite.com which i will try and put something on um in the coming days because obviously i'm on half term so we'll try and get some stuff up there as well thank you very much for listening as always and hopefully the next time we talk will be after we've pulverized dundalk and have beaten manchester united at old trafford by seven goals to one